Would you take out your Bible, please, and turn to Luke chapter twenty, uh, Luke chapter six and verse uh, twenty-two. Luke chapter six and verse twenty-two. If you'll turn there, please. We'll read that here in just a second. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, thank you for singing out. Um, thank you for the good songs that were selected and the chance that we have to uh, worship our God again this evening, just as we did this morning. And what a way for us to bookend the Lord's Day uh, in worship to Him, in prayer to Him, and in study of His Word. Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says, A good name is chosen rather than great riches. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment. A good reputation is a good thing. A good thing to have and something that we should all strive to have, that we should be working toward. Our name, the name that I wear, should be a good name, one that is recognized for good things. And obviously, I think it's pretty clear that it's a good thing for us to be known as a good person by those we come in contact with or throughout the community. We want to shine our lights and having a good reputation allows us to do that because it expands our influence when our name is good. We should all want to be known as someone who can be trusted, for example. Um, as a Christian wearing the name of Christ, I want to be known as someone who can be trusted. Someone who is kind or dependable or gracious or loving or loyal or a hard worker. And we shouldn't feel bad if people think and say good things about us. That's a good thing. And we know our own flaws. We know that we're not perfect. We know that we fall short. All of those things are true. But at the same time, we should be grateful if we have a good reputation. But if we are doing what's right, and in our heart, uh, our heart is right, we shouldn't feel bad if people say bad things about us that are untrue either. If our reputation is sullied, because of something that is outside of our control, something that is untrue. And for the Christian, that will eventually, at some point in your life, sometimes that's the way it works, that our reputation doesn't match up with what our character is. If you're there in Luke chapter 6, Jesus hits upon this very idea in verses 22 and 23. This is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. It's very similar to the Sermon on the Mount, and the reason for that is because Jesus, like, like all good preachers, reused his sermons, and he's preaching at a different time in a different place, and he's preaching the same sermon, but the sermon's going to be a little bit different on every occasion. So this time he goes through the Beatitudes in verses 22 and 23. He's going to have one of these Beatitudes, blessed are the so-and-so. But on this occasion, he also has some woes that are going to come after it. So let's read first in verses 22 and 23, Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and when they revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. So because you're a Christian, even though you're a Christian, they're still excluding you and talking bad about you, and your reputation is not what it ought to be. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. You know who had a terrible reputation in days of old? Elijah. 
Elijah was a troubler of Israel, he was called. And yet that's not the reality. That's not the truth. He says they, they had this kind of opinion of the prophets. There, there are going to be some who have this kind of opinion of you. Well, rejoice. If it's for Christ's sake and you're still doing what's right, then you know that your character doesn't match what this reputation is. And yet Jesus takes it a step further. That's very similar to what we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 5. But he takes it a step further in verse 26. So Luke chapter 6 and verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets, the true prophets, those who are doing what's right and telling the truth from God in all things. They had people talk bad about them. But the false prophets who told people only what they wanted to hear, well, all men spoke well of them. And so this is a warning. It's a warning for people like me who, I want people to like me. Uh, I want to be liked. I want to have a good reputation. And yet, if there are those who are against the cause of Christ, if there are those who are against the truth that is found in God's Word, then there are going to be those who seek to sully our reputation. And though we should strive to have this good reputation, we need to understand that this will not always be the case. And people will even say things about us that are flat not true if we are striving to do what's right. And so if you, like me, sometimes struggle with being swayed by what others think of you, just remember what they thought of Paul on the island of Malta. So turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, and that's where we're going to be spending the, the rest of our time this evening. At least this will provide the outline for the rest of our lesson this evening. Acts chapter 28. In chapter 27, we have one of the most intense stories in all the Bible. This is where Paul is on his voyage to Rome. He's imprisoned. He's going there because he's appealed to Caesar and, and on the trip, they're in this place called Fair Havens, and it's almost winter time. but the captain of the ship, he decides they're going to try and make it just one more little step on the journey. They're going to try and make it over here to the port in Phoenix. And yet, on the way, thinking that they're going to make it, a storm comes up and blows them out to sea. And I talked this morning about seeing grace in every story. This is a great account to teach about grace uh, because Paul comes to all of these men who have lost hope totally in, in, in being saved, in, in their lives being saved, and he says, God has told me, take faith, take heart. God has told me that, that everyone is going to survive. The ship's going to be lost, but everybody's going to survive. And yet he says in verse 31 of chapter 27, unless everybody stays with the ship, you cannot be saved. So that's what God required. And so God... He fulfills what he promised. And every single person off of that ship was saved and they're shipwrecked on this island of Malta that is just uh, south of Italy there. So we find them on this island. And thankfully there's some people on the island who take pity on them and bring them in and they're trying to feed them, make them warm. And here's what happens in verse 1 of chapter 28. Acts 28 and verse 1. Now when they had escaped... They then found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness. 
For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. That's the way reputation works sometimes, isn't it? Uh, Over the course of two verses, the Apostle Paul went from being a murderer by reputation to a god um, from... From the gutter to the penthouse, right? From the outhouse to the penthouse. I think that's the way that phrase goes. And so we see that with Paul. This was the reputation. And yet they were wrong both times, weren't they? That wasn't the reality. He wasn't a god and he wasn't a murderer either. And so I think we can take what we see here in this account and apply it to this idea of what others think about us. It has been rightly said that our reputation is what other people think about us, but our character is who we really are. So what should we learn from this text about character, about reputation, and even about this idea of judging others based on appearance? I want you to notice a few things from the text with me tonight. Uh, This pretty cool text where Paul's bitten by a viper and he does not die. Character or reputation? Well... The first thing that we should learn from this is that appearances can be deceiving. How did Paul appear to them? Here he was. He was with a centurion. Uh, He was a prisoner. He was going to Rome. So clearly he had done something bad enough that he was having to be in take back to Rome for trial. They looked at him and they see this snake bites him and they assume that he must be a guilty man. And not just a guilty man. He must have done something really bad. He must be a murderer. But them thinking all of those things based on how things looked, that didn't make it true. And I think maybe uh, this idea of appearances being deceiving, uh, one of the best illustrations of this, as is usually the case for most things that are true, is found in Jesus himself, isn't it? How did Jesus appear? Here he was, he was born in this backwoods country. He grew up in this town of Nazareth. And even in his physical appearance, Isaiah 53 and verse 2 says, he had no beauty that we should desire him. Does God want us to desire Jesus? Of course he does. But the reason for that desire was never intended to be by God because of the way he appeared, not what he appeared to be. We can be so concerned with the way things appear But that's not what God is concerned about. The the classic example of this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Would you turn back there with me please? 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel is coming to anoint a king from the house of Jesse. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16 beginning in verse 6. So it was when they came, the sons of Jesse come, that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What is it that we're supposed to be looking at? Well, we're supposed to have the same kind of eyes as the Lord. We too are supposed to be looking at the heart. And he desires for us to be the kind of people who want others to look at our heart as well. That we're not consumed with the way we appear with others, but we're consumed with who we really are. I like the way it's expressed in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you turn over there. We're going to be looking in a number of verses in 1 Peter tonight. So if you want to mark 1 Peter, that would be fine too. 1 Peter chapter 3, and speaking to wives, but something that certainly applies to all of us, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold or putting on fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a meek and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. The hidden person of the heart, a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in the eyes of God. Of course it is. And that's what he had when he came here in the person of Jesus. And so Jesus is showing us what's really important as well. It's not about appearances it's about reality. How does it feel? Who in here has ever been judged based on appearances? Anybody besides me? How does it feel when somebody judges you based on appearance? Maybe based on what you look like or what they've been told about you and people like you. When they judge you based on a rumor that they've heard. That doesn't feel good, does it? I was in Tyler. This has been probably a year or so ago. And... Uh, a lot of traffic in Tyler. It was around 5 o'clock, so there was a lot, a lot of traffic in Tyler. I was on Broadway, which is that main thoroughfare through there. And uh, where I was turning, there was uh, three lanes. And so I'm turning into that first lane, but there's cars coming in the second and third lane. And when I turn out into that first lane, nobody's in the first lane. The car that was in the second lane clearly thought that I was uh, being too forward, that I was coming out too far, whatever the case might be, because they're coming and, and should go right by me. They slow down. They come back until their window is even with my window. And they used a profanity. I could read their lips. They used a profanity. They said, profanity, white man. And I said accurate. I am a white man. That's who I am. But this person judged me, not knowing me at all, judged me merely on my appearance. That I must be this kind of person, the kind of person who thinks they can just pull out on the road because of who I am. I tell you, that didn't feel very good. Didn't feel very good at all. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. So let us not make the same mistake, and not just based on gender or race, but on any external appearances, because appearances can be deceiving. And that works both ways, doesn't it? Someone who is good, perhaps there's a rumor that they're bad, or someone who's bad, there's a rumor that they're good. Satan himself, we're told in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, he can transform himself into what? An angel of light. That's the way it appears, but that's not the reality. So as Christians, we must get beyond just appearances. Reading a, 
uh, a book or judging a book by its cover. It must be more than just the way things appear to us. And so that means, second of all, that we have to have the humility to be wrong about someone or humility enough to even consider that we might be wrong about someone. Uh, I love when, when Paul is bitten by this snake. What do they say? No doubt, like 100%, it is absolutely certain that this guy is a murderer, they say. And what does it say? They were expecting that he's going to swell up or fall over dead. They had expectations of the future based on their wrong conclusions, based on appearances, right? But then those expectations were subverted. And even though there was no doubt before, the text says that they changed their minds and said, well, he must be a god from one extreme to the other. And while we don't need to imitate their kind of back and forth to these extremes... Maybe we need to have enough doubt in our ability to judge people that maybe they can surprise us. We can mess up in our judgments of others, but even more, we do not have the ability to judge the heart of another. Now, we can use righteous judgment. We can look at their deeds and say, um, as Jesus encourages us to do, by their deeds, by their fruits, you will know them. Sure, but we can't read the hearts of men. We don't have that power. And so people can surprise us in bad ways. But people can surprise us in good ways too. Have a little hope. Have a little hope for the hearts of men. And even more, have hope for the power of the gospel. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9 now, if you would. Acts chapter 9. This is in some ways more uh, like the beginning of... Paul's journey in the book of Acts. Not his journey to Rome, but his journey of faith. In Acts chapter 9, uh, he has the Lord appear to him on the road to Damascus. He is baptized uh, into Christ. He begins his work for Christ. He preaches Christ there in Damascus and other places. And when we look there in verse 26... And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Well, why? Because in times past, he had consented to them being killed. He had led them away to prison. He had persecuted them. They were all afraid of him, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. Could they see his heart? Could they know his heart? No. But based on the things that he had done before, they said, I don't, I don't think that th- this has to be a trick. He has to be... Wouldn't that be what we would probably conclude? He has to be tricking us so that he can get a list of Christians and then he can round us all up and take us all off to prison. And yet there's somebody named Barnabas who took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of the Lord. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. What do you think the reaction of the brethren in Jerusalem was? They accepted him. They brought him in. Do you think there was a a little bit of uh, uncertainty, a little bit of hesitation in some of them? Can you imagine how some of those conversations went? You know, hi, my name's Saul. Maybe you've heard of me. I'm from Tarsus and so forth. Yeah, I know who you are. You, You threw my husband in prison. Yeah, I know who you are. Remember Stephen? You were there consenting to his death when they stoned him. 
Now, hopefully, these Christians didn't talk to him quite like that. But do you imagine that those thoughts could have been in their minds for what he had done in times past? And yet, let's keep reading in verse 29. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they, the Hellenist Jews, attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they said, Paul, the chickens are coming home to roost. You killed us, now they're killing you. How does it feel? No, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. They wanted to save his life because they had humility enough to consider Maybe this man can change. Maybe we were wrong about his heart. And now that he's come to Christ, he's our brother. And so we see that we need to have this kind of humility. But that's not all from our text in Acts chapter 28. Uh, if you want to turn back over there to Acts chapter 28, if we notice, there's a little phrase there in verse 10 that I want to point out, or excuse me, verse 6 that I want to point out to you. They expected that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds. Uh, I want to put it in these terms. Let the test of time prove all. People will show their true colors one way or another. That's the way these things work. And so too for us, when others speak bad at us, sully our reputation, the test of time can prove all for us too. Uh, when I was in college, um, I remember that there was a semester where I had, I had two false rumors, gossip that was going on about me. One was among non-Christians, some of the friends that I had had in high school, uh, and it was just really far out to the point of almost being silly. I didn't like it because the rumor that I w was that I was involved in, in some sin, but it was just so unlike me, it was so far out there, that I was like, nobody's really going to believe that, right? But the rumor that hurt me more was from among some Christians. And there was some gossip going around that was untrue that hurt me deeply. So I called my dad about it. I said, you know, Dad, what do I need to do about this? Do I just need to go to all these people and tell all these people this is not the way it is, not who I am? And, you know, do you think I can, I can chase this down? And my dad shared some advice that, that he told me he got from Dan Shipley. So Dan Shipley was a preacher, Frank's brother. And Dan Shipley told him when he was a younger man, you can't chase a rumor because you'll never catch it. Let the test of time prove all. Your character will eventually shine forth. It's not what I wanted to hear at the time. I wanted to fight. I want to fight for my name. You know what? That was 18 years ago now. And the rumor was not just long proven untrue, it's long forgotten by everybody else except me, I guess. It's long forgotten because my character showed that that was not who I was. And maybe, you know, maybe you really did mess up. And all you can do is regain trust over time. Um, David is a great example of that. And he talks about his frustration with that in the Psalms. You know, it's like, I, I want to, to talk back to these people who are talking about, there goes David the hypocrite. And he's like, I can't because it's true. All I can do is try and serve God now and proclaim God now and do what I'm supposed to do, do what I'm supposed to do now. 
And I think we see that same idea with Paul again, only now Paul is on the other side of it in Acts chapter 15. Um, So back in Acts chapter 9, the brethren wouldn't accept Paul. In Acts chapter 15, Paul's not going to accept John Mark. Um, And this is a passage that you're familiar with. So we don't have to spend a lot of time um, building this up. But let's, let's just read verses 36 through 38. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, the very same guy who vouched for him, Let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined, resolved, maybe your translation says, to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. We're not told why John Mark left the first journey when he did. We're not told why. But John Mark could not argue with the fact that he did leave, that he left before the work was done, before the journey was completed. And Paul says, you know what? I don't want any, any part of anybody with that kind of character. I'm not going to bring that kind of person with me. And yet the test of time proved all with John Mark, didn't it? We turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Tyler, when he was here, he... He mentioned this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Some of the very last words that Paul wrote on this earth, he says, 2 Timothy 4.11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, he says to Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Well, that's what he was doing before. He was going out in ministry. He was going out and serving. We even call it, or it's commonly called, the missionary journey, right? And and Paul says, he's not useful to me in ministry. Now he says, he's useful to me in ministry. How long did it take? How long did it take for Mark, John Mark, to regain Paul's trust? A month? A year? This is maybe 15 years later. And I don't know when at that point he said, okay, yeah, I trust Mark again. But the test of time proved John Mark's faithfulness. And I think there's all kinds of applications that we could make at this point. If you think someone is getting a raw deal and people are thinking things about them that aren't true, the test of time will prove all. If you think someone is pretending to be something that they're not, the test of time will prove all. If someone makes a bad first impression with you, but you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, well, that's the Christian loving thing to do, and the test of time will prove all in that. Even worse, if I've made a bad impression with somebody else, I need to do what I can to make that right if it's something I need to repent of, but then all I can do is let the test of time prove all. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in Malta as well. I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 28, and let's keep reading together. We we finished reading in verse 6. Let's read down through verse 10. They said he was a god. How did Paul respond to that? In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. When this was done, 
The rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided the things such as were necessary. May I suggest that we can learn a lesson from Paul here? He didn't chase this down one way or the other. He was far more concerned with who he really was and what he had to do than what others thought of him. So too for us. We should be far more concerned with who we are and what we can do for the Lord and for others than what others think about us one way or another. The text doesn't even show Paul correcting their misunderstanding. He just goes about his business without thinking about their opinion very much one way or the other. If we go to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, earlier I said maybe you could mark there, we, we see that this is not just an imitation of Paul. This is an imitation of Christ. Our reputation is sullied in one way or another. All we can do is do what it is we're supposed to do. Be who it is we're supposed to be and let the test of time prove all. 1 Peter chapter 3. Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, they talk bad about you, say you're evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God and being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. We drop down to chapter 4 and verse 4. When we're not involved in this same flood of dissipation, lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties, abominable idolatries, all those terrible things. In regard to these, verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They're sullying your reputation because you're not involved in sin. Well... Let's keep going down to verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. For if you are reproached, talk bad about, for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the Spirit of God, of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. That if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Blessed are you when they revile you and speak evil of you, because such they did to the prophets who were before you, But even more such they did to Christ. And if they talked about Jesus Christ, I mean, people can find plenty of things to nitpick in my life that are legit, that are true. But with Christ, what did they say about him? What was the rumor mill? He has a demon. He's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? He eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. And he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. He's a illegitimate child, if I understand John chapter 6 correctly. 
He casts out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And on and on our list could go of the things they said about Jesus that were not true. None of that was true. But none of that distracted Jesus from his purpose, from who he was and what he came to do. I want you to turn to one more passage, Titus chapter 2. And I think Paul's advice to uh, the younger man, Titus, is advice for all of us in telling the older women and the younger women and the older men and the younger men the things that they should be doing and who they should be, Paul turns his attention to Titus himself. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 and verse 7, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. I can make something up. Sure, people can always do that. But as our character and the things that we actually do such, that someone has nothing evil to say of us. You just keep doing what's right and let the chips fall where they may when it comes to our reputation. Why is this important? Let me leave you with these three things. Seeing clearly someone's character by going through these same steps is important, number one, because of evangelism. Who is a good prospect for the gospel? If we're judging based on appearances, if we don't believe in people's ability to change, that we can be wrong about them, then we're going we're gonna to overlook good prospects for the gospel because we cannot read the heart of another. You know who can do that? God and God's Word. And so our job is to sow the seed and see who has a good heart based on how they respond. So it's important because of evangelism. Second, secondly, it's important, it's important in shining our lights. We live in a society where there is a rush to judge there is a rush to condemn. That's the kind of society that, that we live in. And we can stand out as those kinds of people who don't jump to conclusions based on the way things look, based on appearance. Because we have the humility and the patience to let the test of time prove all. So it's important for us to shine our lights in this way that we judge things differently than the way the world sees the world sees and judges based on appearance. God sees the heart. We're going to try and judge people based on the way they reveal their hearts. And then number three, finally, why is this important? It's important for our steadfastness of faith. For ourselves. Some may condemn our faith. Some may condemn our actions. But their acceptance, their praise whomever they may be, that's ultimately not what I'm pursuing. Who do I want to be right with? The one who can see my heart. I want to be right with God. And I want to hear someday when the books are open and all the deeds, both public and secret, are revealed, I want to hear from Him, well done, good and faithful servant. So it's my call for all of us my call for all of us that we wouldn't judge based on appearance, that we would be concerned about our reputations, but know that that is not the be-all 
and end all when compared to our character and who we really are. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a Christian, that opportunity stands before you to come to Christ, to put Christ on in baptism. And if you're already a Christian and you've been struggling with some of the things that we talk, talked about tonight, or maybe struggling with other things and you need the help and support of your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what we're here for, to love one another, to pray for one another, that we might be healed. If we can help you even this evening, come now while together we stand and while we sing.